to the Wagner Ministries International Podcast. As you listen to this message, our prayer is that you would be motivated and empowered to follow Christ and lead others to Him. Enjoy. God bless you, my friends. This is Evangelist Kevin Wagner, founder of Wagner Ministries International, welcoming you to our podcast today. Paul had finished his second missionary trip. He had spent some time at his home base in Antioch and had just left on his third and last mission trip, which would last four years. The year was 53 AD. Paul headed back toward the great city of Ephesus, but along the way he revisited the churches in Galatia and Phrygia. Then things started getting interesting. The Bible says, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Here we meet for the first time in the word, the great man of God, Apollos. God tells us that Apollos was a native of Alexandria and was a learned man. This isn't surprising. Alexandria, the Mediterranean gateway to Egypt, situated at the mouth of the Nile, was a great city in her day and was home to the greatest university on earth at the time. Apollos would have been well trained in his hometown in the skills of rhetoric and philosophy. His style of preaching, teaching and preaching uh, would have been Alexandrian, meaning it was deep and philosophical and relied a lot on comparing things to each other. If you read the book of Hebrews, you'll see what I mean. In fact, some Bible scholars believe it was Apollos himself who wrote this letter. His style and talent appealed to the intellectuals. That's why later on in life, his friend Paul had trouble following in Apollos' large footsteps back in Corinth. Apollos' example shows us that when one becomes a Christian, one doesn't have to check one's brains at the door one doesn't have to turn off one's mind when one turns to Christ. In fact, a sharp mind is a powerful weapon in the hand of the Lord. After spending some time in Ephesus with Priscilla and Aquila, the Bible tells us in verse 27 that Apollos decided to travel to Achaia, specifically to Corinth. His Christian friends in Ephesus were able to send along a glowing letter of introduction. Apollos quickly became the verbal and intellectual champion of the Christians in Corinth, debating the opponents of the gospel in public, and with great results. The Bible says, When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The anointing of God was on this man, and he was a mighty tool in the hand of the Lord. In those days, maybe a little too mighty. <laughs> As sometimes happens, Apollos' great abilities and skills eventually created a problem. The Bible tells us that some of the Corinthian Christians began to love Apollos more than the Jesus he preached. The Apostle Paul had to confront these same Corinthians about this problem, which ended up causing division and cliques in the church. They had been forming little groups named after their favorite preacher, it seemed. This is something we need to be reminded of today. 
We need to continually be enamored with Jesus and not with the people who serve him. That's why I am personally so intent on always developing leaders to work alongside me in my ministry so that attention can be focused on Jesus and not on one or two so-called high-profile ministers or leaders. Personality cults based on inspiring leaders have been extremely divisive in the past within the body of Christ and must have no place in our church. Everyone here wants to follow someone, that's true. But let that someone be Jesus, and only Jesus. After Apollos' stint in Corinth, he left and hesitated to return, possibly not wanting to fuel more of his inappropriate following. But throughout the word, Paul continued to write warmly of Apollos as a fellow minister, who had watered the seeds of faith that Paul had planted in Corinth. Paul last mentions Apollos briefly to his fellow minister Titus in Paul's letter to him. Apollos had spent his years as a traveling evangelist and missionary who Paul says deserved Titus's help. Friends, here was a man, Apollos, who had great natural abilities which could have made him proud, and yet Apollos turned away from the temptation to lift himself up. Rather, he showed his true humility by being very teachable Having been trained by the best professors of antiquity, Apollos sat humbly at the feet of tent makers, Priscilla and Aquila, learning the truth of God. What an example. Can I encourage you, no, implore you today, to pray for that type of humility and teachability in your own life? There is little that Jesus can't do with a person who is excited to say, I'm sorry, I've been wrong. Please teach me what I need to know so that I can do better next time. If you're a parent or an employee today, think how much those words mean when spoken to you by your child or employee. Now think how much those words mean to God when his children, his workers, say those words to him. Let's back up a bit. Some people have an amazing natural talent for public speaking. Some of these same people even have a great message to go along with it. When Apollos arrived in Ephesus shortly after Paul left there, he made an immediate impact. He spoke boldly in public, the Bible recalls, using the Old Testament effectively. He debated opponents of Christianity forcefully and efficiently. And it didn't take long for a man like this to be noticed by folk like Priscilla and Aquila. This spiritually sensitive couple quickly realized, however, what most of Apollos' star-struck foes didn't. This gifted young fiery preacher was missing something, something very important. He didn't have the whole story, you see. His preaching, the Bible tells us in verse 25, was based only on the Old Testament and John the Baptist's message, probably urging people to repent, as John did, and prepare themselves for the coming of the Savior. Priscilla and Aquila took Apollos home with them and brought him up to date on all that had happened. As they told him of the life of Jesus, his death and resurrection, and the coming of the Holy Spirit, Apollos must have seen Scripture become clear. He was filled with new energy and boldness now that he had the complete gospel. He was now ready to conquer the world, so to speak, and in some very real ways, he began to do just that. Today's story is thus really the tale of two men, the verse 24 Apollos and the Apollos of verse 28. But it is also a tale of two types of people who fill our world, our churches 
and our lives. Verse 24, Apollos, is the kind of man you know him, who we might say is a Christian, kind of. Think of the Apollos we first met this morning. He had many of the marks of a Christian. He knew the Bible. It's obvious you can't, obviously you can't be a Christian without that. He'd been taught about Jesus. Certainly there's no Christianity without that. And more than that, he also had the desire to see others get what he had gotten. He was a great evangelist and missionary. And to top it off, he had a great background. The culture and education of Alexandria, one of the philosophical centers of the world. What didn't he have then? What was it that Priscilla and Aquila saw missing in this fine kind of Christian teacher? The only clue given to us in the word today is that he didn't have the baptism of Jesus. He only knew the baptism of John the Baptist. Now, if by baptism we only mean the ceremonial or ritualistic act of baptism, then this clue doesn't lead us very far. But chances are this clue means a lot more than that. The baptism of John was a baptism into moral improvement. It welcomed people into a great reform movement of which we shouldn't underestimate the importance. But it wasn't the baptism of Jesus. For the baptism of Jesus was a baptism that meant death and resurrection. It meant dying to ourselves and all our selfish ambitions and lusts. It was a public and formal recognition that in and of ourselves we can do nothing, that we are willing, rather, to stand as a sinner in the presence of God, claiming nothing good in ourselves, counting only on Jesus' love and forgiveness bought by his most precious blood on Calvary. The baptism of Jesus changed the focus of things from the Old Testament to the New, from our own efforts to impress God to what God did by His grace. It is the difference between the person who tries desperately to be good and the person who admits rather that he is not good. He's a sinner who needs forgiveness. Once that admission is made, friends, that person is raised into a new kind of life in which there is a power running his life that he never had before. Before this, he felt like Atlas trying to carry the world on his shoulders. After this, he feels like a man carrying a cross. What a difference. No wonder Priscilla and Aquila took him home and, as the Bible says, explained to Apollos the way of God more adequately. That's what Apollos had missed, the true meaning of the gospel. He was a Christian, kind of, and in this case, a miss was as good as a mile. It's like a man who marries a woman. He does all the good things a husband ought to do. He provides a home for his wife. He protects her from harm. He is proud of her. He gives her everything she might desire. But he doesn't surrender himself to the marriage. He doesn't give himself, trusting her, reverencing her, always conscious of his union with her, a union in which he finds himself and loses his anxious unrest. Our churches are filled with people who are Christians, kind of. They know the Bible. They try to live a good Christian life. They have high moral standards. They are solid, upright citizens of their community. But they've missed what the way of God really means. They have the baptism of John, but not the baptism of Jesus. They've never given up the direction of their own lives. They've never stood in the presence of the Almighty God or admitted of themselves that they really can do nothing. 
They've never been the receiver of God's grace, only the givers of God's goods. Friends, this is not merely an academic distinction between people today. It's literally the difference between life and death, in the here and now and in the hereafter. What's it like? It's like the difference between a person who's frantically trying to hold on to a sinking ship and a person who, knowing the seriousness of his problem, reaches out for a life jacket that's been thrown down from above. It's a difference between the religion of good works and the relationship of faith. It's the difference between vainly trying to climb a stairway to heaven and being lifted up by an escalator by a power not your own. In the first scenario, you find a man who has with all his might gone out to kill Goliath. In the second, you find a woman who has been killed by her own conviction of unworthiness and sinfulness, but who has then been saved by the love of her father. Friends, to obey the Ten Commandments, to do what Jesus said to do in the Golden Rule, these are moral goals which every Christian should try to achieve. But if you have nothing more than a moral goal to strive for, you've missed what it means to be a Christian. If this is you today, it may be said that you're a Christian, kind of, and here too, this miss is as good as a mile. You see, the church is not and never can be a society for the improvement of morals. It was at the start, is now, and always must be, a resurrection center, where men and women see that Jesus is real, surrender the direction of their lives to Him, die to their own selfish wills, and get raised up into a new and different life, a life in which all the old problems will still be there, but they'll be controlled by someone more powerful, so that underneath the troubles of the world will be the peace of God, which transcends all understanding. It's a stream of living water flowing out of a group of people like this that will do more for Jesus and this world than a vast army of people trying to improve the world and their lives themselves. So where are you today in this tale of two men? Are you the Apollos in verse 24 or verse 28? Do you just know John and morality? Or do you know Jesus and forgiveness? I want to invite you to make the move that Apollos did that first century Ephesian day. I want to invite you to take the world off your shoulders and put his cross on instead. As always, my friends, I look so forward to our next podcast where we will move further into the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit uses his word to help us walk daily in the power of God. Have a blessed day in Jesus. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. For more information regarding Wagner Ministries International, go to wagnerministries.org. And if you need prayer for anything, please email us at prayer at wagnerministries.org. God bless.